I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Chemical engineering researcher Rosanna Zia has begun to shed light on the secret world of colloidal gels, liquids dispersed in a solid. Yogurt, shampoo, and jello are just a few examples. Sometimes gels act like liquids, and sometimes they act like a solid. Understanding the theory behind these transitions can translate to real-world applications, such as helping understand why mucus, also a colloidal gel, in the airway of people with cystic fibrosis can thicken, resist flow, and possibly threaten life. Rosanna Zia is an assistant professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering at Cornell. She led development of the biggest dynamic computer simulations of colloidal gels yet, with over 750,000 particles. The Zia group used the Stampede supercomputer attack through an allocation from Exceed, the Extreme Science and Engineering Discovery Environment, a single virtual system funded by the National Science Foundation that allows scientists to interactively share computing resources, data, and expertise. Rosanna Zia spoke with me by phone from her lab at Cornell. Dr. Zia, thank you for speaking with us today. My pleasure. You research the behavior of what are called colloidal gels. For the benefit of people listening, what are colloidal gels and why do scientists study them? Well, colloidal gels are actually soft solids. Uh, they can act like on-demand liquids, in fact. Um, there are a lot of everyday examples like shampoo, hair gel, dishwasher liquid, scrambled eggs, jello, yogurt, lots of things. And what's really special about these materials is sometimes they act like liquids and sometimes they act like solids. So if you think about hair gel, a small drop of it will sit in your hand um, like a solid. Even if you turn your hand over, it won't drip off. But if you rub it between your palms, it flows like a liquid. And so you can ask yourself, why do they do this? And the reason they can act like both liquid-like and solid-like is if you zoom inside, inside the material and looked microscopically close, you would see that it's not just a pure liquid, that there are many suspended microscopic particles. And in gels, these happen to be bonded together. They're connected together like a, a network or a scaffold. So the scaffold is strong enough to support its own weight under gravity. But if you give it a push, we can stretch or break the network and break the bonds, collapse the scaffold and allow it to flow. And so this is a really interesting sort of on-demand liquid behavior. And what's most important is when these bonds between the particles are kind of weak, when the bonds break, if we take away that flow, they'll form again. And it turns back into a solid. And, and it's really changing the way science is doing things like treating wounds using things like artificial tissue scaffolds or injectable pharmaceuticals. You have a recent study out that investigated what happens as colloidal gels age, how they evolve, I guess. Um, what did you find out and how did you do it? Sure. Um, and so it's, it's funny when people ask, how do you measure these things? They say, well, it's pretty easy for me because I'm a theorist and I do simulations. So all I have to do is tell the computer to do it. And, uh, the experimentalists who actually image these things using things like microscopy have to do the really hard work. But let me tell you about how we do it. In this work you mentioned, and uh, we published an article in 2014 in the Journal of Rheology, and that was work that I did with my co-authors, Ben Landrum and Bill Russell. This research actually grew out of our initial quest to understand why some gels, uh, once they're formed and placed in a container, they remain intact. Um, you know, you make something and decorate it with therapeutic payload or whatever and put it on the shelf, and you expect to take it off the shelf, and it's still that nice sort of scaffold network. 
But what was found is sometimes they just suddenly, seemingly, inexplicably just collapsed under their own weight. And this has been a real roadblock uh, in the design of things like tissue scaffolds, injectable pharmaceuticals, petroleum drilling fluids, even commercial household fluids. People spend a lot of money to make detergents, and when you go to the store and it's all collapses in the bottom, nobody wants to buy it. So it's a, a problem that's a very broad and urgent, technologically important problem. We wanted to start thinking about that problem, and that was sort of why we started thinking about this article it turns out it's really hard to solve that problem. <laughs> and even with 10 years of really serious study, even though it's a fundamental importance of understanding exactly what changes in the material, we still hadn't had, people still had not managed to get an understanding of what was going on. And I just came into this problem a couple of years ago. And so I thought, well, we need to get a good initial study of the literature, finding out what's going on there. And we were really surprised to learn that there are some really basic questions about how these materials behave, even without this collapse problem that had not been answered. And uh, you mentioned, what do, we, what do we see when we look in there? Well, that was one of the first questions that we asked. Um, so some of the questions that weren't answered were whether or not this microscopic structure continues to evolve over time after the gel is formed. So that means if I make a scaffold and inside this gel, does it stay the same forever? Or does it rearrange itself and rebuild itself over time? And what does that structure in that scaffold look like? How do they age? And so a real barrier to answering these questions has been the difficulty in seeing into the gel at that microscopic particle level. It's really hard in experiments. There are a number of people who do that really well. Some of my colleagues at places, um, including University of Michigan and other places, do a really nice job getting those images, but it's difficult. Also at uh, the University of Delaware, for example. But this is where dynamic simulations play a really important role in scientific discovery. In these simulations, we can track and view changes in the material all the way down to individual particles. And there, another challenge computationally is that these gels can form really long network length scales, and the simulation has to capture that. So this means you have to have a really big simulation. And this is where Exceed and Stampede high-performance computational access was a real game-changer. I'm hoping that you might be able to tell us a little bit about the computational resources that you use through Exceed. Well, I do have to say that I'm probably Exceed's biggest fan. The resource that I use from Exceed, the most important resource to me is Stampede, which is run by the Texas Advanced Computing Center at UT Austin, and we've pretty much exclusively utilized that for our computing. We also use Ranch, which is a storage resource, which has been hugely helpful because we generate very large amounts of data that have to be stored safely in a stable environment until we're done with all of our post-processing. We also do all of our own visualizations, but I'm hoping sometime next year we'll use some of uh, Exceed's visualization resources. But again, I have to say I'm Stampede's biggest fan. This is not only important computationally, but I have to say the staff there are some of the best that I've ever had to encounter with help with um, computational resources. They're literally available 24-7, and they always solve problems that we have really quickly. I just I can't say enough good things about the tech staff. You found some distinct behavior that these colloidal gels are, are going through as they evolve through time. In the paper for this journal of rheology, you described it as cage forming, cage hopping, cage arrest. What did you find? What, what's happening here at this scale? Right. That, that was one of the things that we really wanted to characterize is how do gels age? And so the idea is that if you zoom into the gel, you can watch it sort of coarsen over time. You see these particle strands and they look like they're getting thicker. And then the solvent pockets in between them, if again, you picture this sort of scaffold-like thing, those get bigger. 
And, you know, the big question was, how did this happen? And there were different hypotheses. For example, some had the idea that a particle would break off the network and diffuse through the solvent and attach someplace else, or maybe that large strands would coalesce together and form a bigger strand. And uh, we just decided to let the, the gel itself tell us what was going on since we could see all the individual particles moving around. And what we found is that you have this network of strands and the particles in the middle are really strongly bonded. They're nearly frozen to each other. They're like a glass. But on the surface of these strands, the particles are actually a lot more mobile. They're like a liquid, sort of. And the particles crawl or migrate along the network in a motion that's called diffusion. And so they crawl along the network, and they're looking for a different place where there's a more favorable energy for them to be. And so they just sort of redeposit themselves over time. And so what they do is they might pop off the network and then come back down onto the network and form a cage. And then as they crawl along the network, it's as though they're migrating from one cage of particles to another because they're always surrounded by many particles. And then eventually, when they sink down into the strand and more particles get dumped on top of them, we call that cage trapping, and they become trapped there forever. And this is sort of the picture of coarsening in these types of gels is like this slow, continuous ratcheting of particles into deeper and deeper wells where they get trapped and can't escape. What's the most important thing you want people today to know about this story on your research? I would say that um, colloidal gels and other complex fluids are really, I, I think that we should think of them as materials of the future. And in fact, the Department of Energy every um, periodically defines a set of uh, what they call grand challenges for scientists in this country to solve. And it turns out that understanding the behavior of soft solids or arrested matter glassy states and so on is one of the grand challenges. So the research that we're working on is a part of this really important body of work. So I I guess I would say that is that colloidal gels are the material of the future and soft solids are in general. And in our work so far, we've shown how dynamic simulation is important in revealing particle scale detail. These tell us that these materials age, uh, they coarsen, they change their mechanical behavior as they change with age. They can flow, they can turn into new solids. So they're incredibly tunable materials and we're making great progress in understanding them. Also, I'd like people to know that I work with the support of a fantastic research group here of of my graduate students here at Cornell University. You can find more out about us on the web at www.cbe.cornell.com. Edu slash Zia group. And of course, obviously, um, I would like to acknowledge my funding resources like the National Science Foundation and the Office of Naval Research and Investigator Program, and of course, Exceed and Stampede. Dr. Zia, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Cornell researcher Rosanna Zia. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.